One of the most symbolic things, as we look into the Word today, about one of the most symbolic part of the teaching of water baptism is that a person, when they're baptized, what we saw today, is fully submerged in water. Matter of fact, so fully submerged that I got a bath today. Um, which normally doesn't happen. But uh, that I got a bath today. And, and that when we baptize them, I don't know if you noticed this, but when I baptize them, I very carefully make sure I dunk them completely. And today, because the water was so high, I went really slow, and I even the crown of their head, which is the last thing to go under, I stick every part of their body under the water. That when they go under the water, they are saturated in water. Every bit of them is wet. Every part of them, from, the, from their toes to their hair, gets saturated in the water of baptism. It, because that's what water baptism is all about. It's about total saturation. And water baptism symbolizes something for us. It symbolizes, the reason it's about total saturation, is that it symbolizes the total effect that Christianity is supposed to have on a person's life. You see, I need us to understand today, and I think we do, but I want us to to open up our hearts to see if we really get it the way we say we do, that the Christian life is more than believing a set of theological teachings. That the Christian life is about total saturation. It's about total transformation. And when we hear Jesus' call to come and follow him, and that's what a Christian is, a follower of Christ, what the scriptures say happened is that when we, when we get what these people describe today as this new life in Christ, he says we're transformed. He says we go from darkness to light. We go from spiritual death to spiritual life, from sin to holiness, from lost to found, from hell bound to heaven bound. And it's all about total saturation. See, Christianity is meant to affect every part of our lives. It's meant to affect our ethics and our behavior and our beliefs and our actions. It's meant to affect how we live our relationships, how we function and what occupation we do. It should, re- it should affect our recreation, where we go and what we do, where we don't go. It should affect our commitments, what we put in front of other things. You see, what Christianity is not, it is not, it is not about coming to a church building once or twice a month and saying, I fulfilled a religious duty. Because when we live a saturated life, a life where we're, we're dunked under the water and we live in that reality of the presence of the waters of baptism, when we live this saturated life in Christ, see, it's not about obeying some external religious norms anymore. It's not about doing a list of do's and don'ts. That's what the problem they struggled with in Judaism before Christ, just living by the law. That living a saturated life. Living in the reality that the waters of baptism are meant to represent that it's complete submersion in the things of God. That living that kind of a saturated life is about a life built upon knowing and serving Jesus in every single area of our life. It's about having Christ at the center of everything for us. And the Apostle Paul said it in a certain way that, that I think is so instructive and also so challenging to us when he made a declaration in the book of Galatians when he said this. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's a description of a saturated life. Paul looked at his own life. He looked in the mirror of his life and he said, you know what the reality of my life is? He said, I've been crucified 
with Jesus Christ. And he said, now the life that I live, he said, it's no longer that I even live. He said, but now Jesus Christ lives in me. And the life, he says, which he lives now, after conversion, after coming to Christ, he says, I live in the flesh. The life that I live, I live now by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. He said, I live a saturated life where it's all about Christ. You see, living saturated is living daily anchored to the reality that Jesus is life. The only real life that we can have in this world. And to live apart from that is to give up real life and to settle for something much less. Friends, I want you to understand something today. That God has something more for us as we live a saturated lifestyle where we understand that He has been crucified, that we have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer us that live, but we now live in the reality that Christ lives in us, right here and right now. Have you thought about life that way, after you've come to Christ, that that Christ lives in you right here and right now? You see, grasping that revelation will change you. You know what? It will change what you commit to. It'll change what things you live your life for. It will change where you buy a house and the type of house you buy. You know what, Pastor Mitch? Living a saturated life is the reason that somebody would do what the world says is crazy and sell their really nice house in Menominee Falls in a really bad market and choose to move closer to a church where they serve in a part-time capacity. That's living a saturated life. And then picking a house and saying, but I can't just have any house. I need a house here that will accommodate the ministry God wants me to do. Living a saturated life affects every single part of of our existence. It affects the house we'll buy. It affects where you'll buy a house. That's living a saturated life. It'll change how you react with your neighbors and interact with your neighbors. I don't know about you, but I've had some rough neighbors in the past. I've moved a lot, and so we've had a lot of opportunities to meet new people. Being saturated when the neighbor's a monster to you and they're rotten to you and they call the police on your kids. Which has happened twice in the last two years. You know what you do? You love them instead. You don't go tit for tat. You love them instead. When they're mean, you're kind. When they're rotten and stingy, you're generous. When they call the police on your kids, you bless their kids. Why? Because I understand, or you need to understand, we need to understand that the saturated life changes how we live. It changes how we, how we interact with people. It changes how we spend our time. It changes how, what we do and what we don't do. It says, you know what, there's some things I'd like to do, but my commitment to God and to the body of Christ will be changed if I live a saturated life. You see, when we live daily in the reality that the water of baptism is still dripping off of us, that we are saturated in the presence of Jesus, that it changes how we live because we know that Jesus is right here right now with us now understand something if you live that kind of a lifestyle if you make a choice and it's all about a choice it's not I'm not talking about a choice of heaven or hell here I'm talking about a choice of living with God and going all the way or going part way it's really what we're talking about today that if you make the choice to go all out to live a saturated life that when you live a saturated lifestyle one where the reality that Christ lives in you, changes your behavior and changes your choices, Pastor Mitch, 
that people around you won't understand. Friends and family. Believers and non-believers won't understand what you do. And they'll make some pretty wild accusations and comments and and, and, uh, and, uh, judgments about you. Now this is what the text from Mark that we're going to read about today is all about. You said, oh, I thought Pastor Mark forgot about the Gospel of Mark today. I didn't. Grab your Bibles. If you're visiting with us, we've been going section by section through the Gospel of Mark, and this water baptism service just gave us a perfect way to segue into the text, to talk about a saturated life, because the text we're looking at today is going to talk about a saturated lifestyle. It's going to talk about Jesus living a saturated lifestyle, and it's going to talk about the fact that as he lived a saturated lifestyle, that people made some, some wrong um, observations about him, some wrong judgments about him. We're going to find out that as Jesus, that he lived this totally committed, saturated lifestyle, completely committed to the cause of Christ, and that caused the people around him to misjudge him. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. Starting in verse 20, we're going to read all the way down to verse 35. And I want you to pay attention as we read this together today on how the people around Jesus misjudged him simply because of the lifestyle he chose to live, which was a lifestyle of saturation in the things of God. Verse 20, it says, And he came home, and the crowd gathered again, he is Jesus. And the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. And when his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, he's lost his senses. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, they all have an opinion, he's possessed by Beelzebul, and he casts out, which is the prince of demons, and he casts out demons by the ruler of demons. And he called them to himself, and he began to speak to them in parables. And he said, how can Satan cast out Satan? If the kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his home. Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemes they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, because they were saying he is an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside they sent word to him and called to him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside, and they're looking for you. And answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. I want you to think about something. This is just a story, a real story, but the story of a day in the life of Jesus. These were the events of his day. In the day of the life of Jesus. The day in the life of a man who lived a saturated life. Who went all out in serving the kingdom. And we see as we look into his day that that he was so busy on that particular day. He was so busy ministering to hurting people that he didn't even eat a meal on that day. 
Now, obviously, he didn't live like that all the time or he wouldn't be alive. But on that particular day, the the requirements of him meeting the needs of, of hurting people was so great that he didn't even eat and that he was totally saturated in kingdom activity. You see, we see something from the life of Jesus from the story, a snapshot of one day of his life. We see that he lived a lifestyle where the scales were tipped toward helping other people, where the scales of his life were tipped toward doing the things of God. The scales of his life were tipped toward doing ministry. That if you looked at Jesus and you looked at his life, you would recognize that he doesn't live a real balanced life. That day he chose not to even eat, to do work for the kingdom of God. And as the scales of his life, they, they weren't real balanced out. That they were kind of tipped in the direction of helping others. And one thing I've noticed over the years, that living a saturated life is often not a real balanced life at times. I need you to understand that if you are going to go all out in serving God, then it's a choice. If you're going to go all out in living a saturated life, that there will be times, there will be seasons in your life that have a duration of time when doing God's work will consume your time. There will be a time in your life when the scales are tipped towards helping others. When the scales of your life are tipped towards doing the ministry that God created you to do. Remember the, a couple of weeks ago we had a, a large portrait, a large outline of a man up here, a body of Christ. And you all got puzzle pieces and you all came and you filled the body in. And we learned something that day. We learned that God created us all unique on purpose and that we all have a fit in the body. And that God created you to do things. And that if we live a saturated life, there will be times in your life when you're fulfilling that fit. And it will dominate your life for a while. It can't be always. But it will dominate your life for a season. And you will be a little bit out of balance. And I want to tell you something. When that happens, other people around you won't understand. They won't understand you. Even other Christian people won't understand you. And they will make misjudgments about you and your life as they did about Jesus and his life on this day in Jesus' life. And I want us today to think about those misjudgments they made about Jesus because I promise you they will make them about you. And I say that in good, with good experience because it's been said about me. And I'm not trying to hold myself up as a Jesus. I'm not trying to hold myself up as a great example. But as the times in my life as I've done my best to live a saturated life and the scales have been tipped... People say, that's crazy, you can't do that. Mark, you can't leave a great church and go live in a basement to start another one for no money. You can't do that, that's dumb. Family members who love you look in you in the eye and say, Mitch, what are you doing selling your house, man? You're not going to make financial profit on it the way you could have. They look at it and they say, you're crazy. They make misjudgments. So let's think about these misjudgments the text shows us today because they'll come into your life and if you recognize they're coming, it's easier to deal with it. When you know, hey, it's just something that's always happened this way. The first misjudgment they made about Jesus in the text is they said, what about him? Said he's crazy. Now what they say is exactly what the text says. His family members, his mom and his brothers, it says his own kinsmen came and they said he was crazy. See, his lifestyle seemed so excessive to them that they just thought he was nuts. After all, it says here in the text that he ministered all the time on that day, even to the point of not eating for himself, not taking care of himself. And as they looked at that, and they saw the scales tipped, they said, you know what? This guy's lost his marbles. He's crazy. Look what it says they wanted to do to him. It says, let's catch him and take him home. As if, as if they got to be the guys in the white gowns and the, and the butterfly net. 
And they need to catch him and bring him back home. That's the the picture they paint here. Let's catch Jesus because he's crazy. He won't listen to reason. Let's catch him and bring him back home. You know what, friends? I always find it interesting that when people people think it's crazy when someone lives a life that seems somewhat excessive in serving God. That people think it's crazy if somebody gets a little too crazy about those things of God, but they never think it's crazy when someone is excessive in other areas of devotion in their life. They never think it's crazy when they're devoted to making tons of money. They go, well, they're just a good provider. They don't think it's crazy when they're overly devoted to playing golf. Well, that's just his passion. You know, that guy lives for golf. They don't think it's crazy when they're devoted to the Packers or the Brewers. Do they? They don't think it's crazy when some grandma is devoted to her grandkids beyond everything else and the only thing that ever comes out of her mouth is about Johnny and Susie and whoever. You know, we don't think that's crazy. Oh, isn't that cute? We don't think it's crazy when somebody's devoted to fishing or to travel. Overly committed. You see, the salmon are hitting right now. It's the run. <laughs> but Saturday night I was in church praying for today. And today I'm here. It's crazy to not be fishing right now. (laughs) But I'd rather be crazy for the things of God than crazy for the things of the world. You see, they look at it and they say it's okay to be excessive in any other area of life, but don't be excessive in serving Christ. I think there's a reason for this. I really think it stems from conviction. We know the Holy Spirit is real and the Holy Spirit is active in the lives of people. And I think people feel convicted and they feel threatened when someone actually lives out the kind of lifestyle that Jesus modeled for us to live and said that we should live the same way because they feel guilty because they're not living the way maybe God asked them to live. So instead of changing, it's easier to criticize the one who makes them feel uncomfortable. So they look at Jesus and they say, he's crazy. They look at somebody else and they say, that person's out of balance. Well, friends, if we are going to be excessive towards something, and human nature is such a way that we tend to be excessive towards certain things, if we are going to be excessive towards something, let's be excessive for Christ. If the balance of our life is going to be tipped in a certain way, let's let the balance of our life be tipped towards walking with Christ and serving Him. Because if we think about it, what else really matters? If heaven and hell are real then what else could be more important than devoting ourselves to helping people get to heaven and avoiding hell? What else could be more important? Friends, that's not crazy to be excessive towards that. That is the most sane thing a person could do if they understand the reality of what God's Word says. Correct? That's the most sane thing a person could do. That the devotion of your life would be tipped towards walking with God and tipped towards serving Him and tipped towards finding your part in the body and tipped towards fulfilling how God made you to be. It's the most sane thing a person can do. Now, the people in Jesus' day, on that day and every day, they didn't stop right there. They didn't stop at just saying He was crazy. They didn't stop at just calling Him crazy, but they took it a step further. And they said, you know what? He's not only crazy, He's possessed. So they said, he's demon-possessed. They said, they said, he has a wrong spirit. 
said his authority over Satan was so real that they thought he must have demonic power. Look at verse 22. It says, The scribes who had come down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul. And he casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. And their, his, their tradition said that the ruler of the demons' name was Beelzebul. Scripture doesn't say that, but that was their tradition. They said, look, this guy is possessed. Isn't it interesting that they criticized Jesus for having what they wished they had? They criticized Jesus for having what they wished he had. they had. They wanted real spiritual authority. But all that they had was religious emptiness. Well, they make the accusation that Jesus is crazy. And Jesus sets them straight. I don't think he was mean about it. I don't think that he was harsh about it. But he just simply told me, he says, the only way to cast out Satan is with a greater authority. Verse 27, he says, But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Jesus is saying this. He's saying, guys, guess what? I, have, I can do this. Because I'm the strong man. He said, I'm the strong man who can come in, I can bind Satan, and I can cast him out. And friends, I want you to understand something today. You and I only have spiritual authority when we live a saturated life. We'll only have spiritual authority, the kind that they looked at Jesus and said that he's possessed about. You'll only have spiritual authority when we're walking continually in the, in the strength of and the authority of a totally sold-out life to Christ. And you know what I know about you as a church family? It's what you want. It's what you tell me you desire. It's what you pray for. You say, I want to walk in the things of God and in the power of the Spirit. It only happens if we walk continually in the strength and the authority of a totally sold-out life to Christ. But I know something. We won't live lives of spiritual authority if we only go halfway with Jesus. Living with one foot in the world and one foot in God's kingdom just doesn't work. I've watched it for years. I've still struggled with it at times. You know what I found? Through experience and observation, it's empty, it's powerless, it's the most frustrating thing in the world, and it's confusing. Jesus calls us to go all in. He calls us to live lives of total saturation. It's what he wanted water baptism to teach us. That every single part of you is submersed in the reality of a walk with God. And friends, Jesus is so serious about this that he gives a warning to his followers about living lives that aren't all in. And I want to read that to you today. I honestly believe this is a, a, a message of warning to the Church of America. And some of you may be sitting here today as I'm turning to Revelation chapter 3 and say, Man, Pastor Mark, you're being kind of hard today. You're being kind of serious today. We prayed together as a church, as a intercessors and worship team this morning, and I said, God, help me to deliver a message that I think you want me to deliver without one ounce of superiority, without one ounce of pride. Because I believe this is a message that God has for us at Portview Church. I really do. And I don't say it with any joy. But I, do, I guess I do say it with joy in the sense that I believe that was a group of people we want to respond to what God has. Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Anybody have a red letter Bible? What, what color are the letters? 
What's that mean? It means these are the words of Jesus. That doesn't mean they have more significance than any other words in the Bible, but I just, it just does something to me when I recognize that this is what Jesus has to say to the church. Chapter 3, verse 14, starting here, says this, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of creation of God says this. That's a description of Jesus. Verse 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and I have become wealthy and I have need of nothing and you do not know that you are poor and wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and the eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Verse 19, those whom I love I reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What do we find here? In this, in this really, this, this loving warning from God Himself. We see that the people who were church people thought that they were okay. So that I'm rich, I'm well fed, and I'm in need of nothing. Friends, it is so easy for me to feel that way. It is so easy for you to feel that way. We're rich. We're well fed and we have need of nothing. We've got it all going on. We've got it all. It's going great. I like my church. I like my friends. I like my occupation. I like what God is doing. It seems wonderful. And we, I'm not saying that he's warning all, everybody always, but he's, it's, a, it's a cry, a generalization that says, you know what, there's a lot of people who just think they've got it all together and they're church people. And you know the mistake we've made for years? It's what we prayed about this morning is that we're all often really good at pointing at everybody else and go, yeah, look at all those people like that. And I just prayed, we prayed together, God, give us eyes to see if your fingers, your loving fingers are pointed at us. People who thought they were okay, but that Jesus makes this appraisal of. He says, you're not okay. He says it this way, he says, you're lukewarm. In the context of what we're talking about today, about saturated, he says, you're not all in. You're, 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 you're not all the way in. You're not living a saturated life. He says, you're really not all there. You're lukewarm. He said, you're like drinking a, gl- a cup of lukewarm water. He said, I like to spit it out of my mouth. He said, it's not cold. It's not hot. It's in the middle. It's not really one way or the other. And he says, I wish you were either one or the other. He said, I don't like you living in the middle. But then he says something else. That's all bad news. But he says something else then. He calls his church to Repent. We think repentance is a bad thing. Repentance is the greatest gift God has ever given to humanity. He says, you know what? You're not doing it right, but you can do it right. 
He says, repent. Repentance simply means change your direction. Stop going in the wrong way and start going in the right way. And then he offers something when he calls people to to recognize where they're really at and calls them to repent. He offers something that is the greatest gift that humanity can ever have. He says, if you will walk in the right direction. He says, I'll give you myself. That's what he says here, two different ways in the text. He says, I will give you myself. He says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And interesting, friends, we've used that text forever to talk to, to about people coming to Christ. That's not the context. It's talking about church people. He's writing it to the church. He's saying, I'm standing there and I'm knocking. He says, you got a lot going on, but do you hear my voice? He says, if you hear my voice and you open the door, he says, I'll come in and I'll dine with you. And me with he, he, him, with the, us with him. He says, I'll dine with you, but he doesn't stop there. And he says also this, verse 21, he who overcomes, who repents and goes in the right direction, he says, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I have also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He offers us intimacy. He offers us the life that he designed us to live, that he tried to illustrate to us through the symbolism of water baptism, that it's completely all in, it's completely saturated, it's not frustrated. It's a life lived where he really is number one. And the other competing things, it's okay to catch salmon. It just can't be God. It can't take precedent over figuring out where I fit in that body, what God shaped me for, and fulfilling that. That's got to be number one living with him and for him. He offers intimacy to those who go all in. But then it's interesting how he ends in verse 22. He says something that is, I think it's a little sarcastic. He says, he who has ears, everybody go like this. Does anybody not have ears? He's talking to people. He who has ears, that's me. He says, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He says, if you have ears on your head, listen to me. Choose to listen. Friends, Jesus is serious about us not being lukewarm. He wants us to live saturated lifestyles. And he says it to us today, and he'll say it to us next year, and he'll say it to us ten years from now. Because he knows the tendency of humanity, my tendency and your tendency, is to drift. And all these other things become more important. You know, if you have church that starts at 10 o'clock and the Packers begin at noon, Pastor, don't you go one minute late. Because that's what's really important on my calendar today. I'm not saying you can't like the Packers. I'm going to do my best to stay awake for the whole game today. But you know what? saturated, says the things of God take priority. He knows we're going to drift. And he says, listen, if you know you're drifting, just come back, change directions, get serious about the things of God. If you're hearing me speak to you today, he says, and it's resounding with your spirit, recommit and get serious. And church, I just say this as we wrap up. I know that this is not the kind of sermon I normally preach to you. But I was really convinced God wanted me to today. And if he is dealing with you, I want you before you leave this place today to find a place 
just to talk to God. Come to the altars and pray. Turn around your seat and pray. Spend some time with the Lord. And maybe you're here and the Lord is speaking to you. And He's saying, you know what? I've got to get baptized. That I want to be all in. I need, that. I need that in my life. You weren't planning on it today. I brought extra towels just in case. You say, that's for me. I'm going to get baptized. I'll baptize you. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ at all, something inside of you is saying, is no matter how much you want to resist it on the outside, something inside of you is saying today that I really need Jesus. You can come to Him, to, to come to him today. You can ask Him into your life. You can say, God, I want to get saturated in you. And we're going to have a guy, friend, Dick Fister, is going to just come up in his front row. If you want to say, I need to talk to you about asking Christ in my life, Dick is going to be up here. And he'll talk to you about it. And if you say, this is the day he's going to pray with you to receive Jesus. So I'd invite you right now, if you just stand with me. Could we look to the Lord together today? Heavenly Father, I like it so much more when we can just shout and holler. I thank you that today there's so much good to shout about. And God, somehow in our humanness, we look at repentance and we say it's a negative. But God, you say there's more to shout about in when, we get our, when we get realigned than anything else.